This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. And today, my co-host Frank Santo Padre and I have a rather unusual episode. First, I'll be speaking to my Wife Swap co-star, the guy I swapped wives with, and my old boss from Thick of the Night, Alan Thick. Hey, this is Alan Thick. If you get me, zip in the kitchen. And I'm gonna be switching waves. Gonna have a little wave swip with Gilbert Getfi. Cause he likes to swip waves with Gilbert Getfi. And I, you know, it's a wave swip. And so I like to have a wave swip with Gilbert Getfi. And then I'm gonna have a very strange conversation with my recent Friars Club arch enemy, the legendary comic Shecky Green. Best known for uh, having the name Shecky. You don't know who he is, but you have heard the name Shecky, unlike the Muppets and stuff like that. Anyway, I was performing at this event, uh, a Friars Club event, and uh, I was doing my usual uh, type of tasteful material. And I mean, look, it was a Friars Club event where I first uh, uh, performed the aristocrats for a mass crowd. And, and they loved it there. That's what the Friars Club is about. You could go there. Jack Benny and Milton Pearl would go there and do dick jokes. Anyway, Shecky, in the middle of my act, gets up and walks out, which shocked me in two ways. Number one, that he could still stand up, and two, that he can walk. Imagine what I could do to uh, Stephen Hawking. I had that kind of material. I could do some of my dirtier stuff, and he'd get up and walk out, going, I'm very offended by that type of too soon and a tasteless comedy remark. And I don't have to sit here. Anyway, I decide I'm going to take the high ground. And uh, I'm going to call Shecky. I'll be the one to uh, to give out that uh, peace branch or whatever the fuck it's called. And so I called Shecky. I'm reaching out to him. And I actually have a career. But I reached out to him. Here's Shecky, who's offended by my uh, blowjob jokes. Shecky, who has spent his entire life in Vegas with hitmen and hookers. And so I decided to reach out to him, Shecky, best known for the name Shecky. And, well, uh, you're just going to have to listen for yourself. This is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast and my sidekick, Frank Santo Padre. 
And you know, a lot of people have been complaining. You've only had talented people on the show. And so now, as a change of pace, <laughs> Alan Thick. <laughs> and I'm still here after that intro. I know. <laughs> Which makes me not only untalented, but incredibly resilient and forgiving. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm still trying to forgive you for thick of the night. No, no, the world, uh, there are just some things that can't be overlooked. <laughs> I, that's, I think, how, how we met. Uh, I was one of the resident cast of Zanies on yeah. Thick of the Night. And Richard Belzer. Richard Belzer was part of it, Charles Fleischer. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was the only uh, untalented guy in the group. <laughs> as it Charles Fleischer, the voice of Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Would, would know him. Now, I heard you refused to let your wife, Tanya, see any recordings of Thick of the Night. Well, it wasn't so much a matter of refusal. It's just that some of them uh, have self-destructed, I hope. And uh, I just didn't see that it would uh, contribute anything to my uh, third marriage if my uh, wife were to see uh, uh, any of that horrible show. Yeah. And so it's just a discreet way of uh, trying to preserve uh, my, uh, my marital status. Now, what I remember, can you tell us who one of the sponsors was. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, uh, uh, it, it just uh, the irony of it all, just when already nobody was watching the show, because everybody was watching, <laughs> everybody was watching Johnny Carson, and uh, as, as you may remember, I was getting roundly stoned in the press, and uh, uh, there was uh, uh, just one sponsor in particular that popped up every single night it was for lightweight feminine napkins and in the middle of the show uh, the voiceover announcer on the commercial would say once you've tried new lightweight you'll never go back to thick again <laughs> Smooth. and that was pretty much summed up my whole year i remember i used to look forward to that commercial. Yeah, there was another guy. There was one critic in the country uh, who liked me, just one, and it turned out that he obviously he was a functional illiterate, and uh, he tried to pay me a compliment and wrote that Alan Thick has a nice self-defecating sense of humor. <laughs> so I did, I wrote back. I said, "Well, stick with us because we're improving excrementally." <laughs> I remember when I was on the show with you, and it was—it's—it's it's always the mark of like bad TV when the producer has changed the whole format each week. Well, that's because we changed producers each week. Oh yeah, yes. And each one of them had their own format, <laughs> and unfortunately, everyone uh, involved me. I—I I remember one of them, their idea. Was and they told me they were both really excited about this. They said, From now on, you're not with the whole group of characters you're usually there with, you live in the catwalk. 
That's right. You would you would live up in the catwalk where the lights uh, hang, uh, like the Phantom of the Opera. You would have been the Phantom of Thick of the Night. And I was looking at them, thinking, this, I, I must be missing a part here. And then, of course, they had us doing it, where you'd be coming out going... Lily, get a go talk to Gilbert Gottfried, who, <laughs> who lives up there in the kitwalk. We gotta get him down from the kitwalk. And, and I would yell, no, I'm not coming down. It was about as funny as it just sounded. Well, you, guys, sounds like you guys were ahead of your time because they did that bit on Letterman where Chris Elliott would come out from underneath the stairs. Oh, was, my like God. A, like, and he would live under the under the theater. It was like a Phantom of the Opera. So yeah. we I were, think they ripped you off. Yeah, we were revolutionaries. <laughs> yeah, so if we had actually done that and, and locked you up in the catwalk, we might have uh, been on to something. <laughs> but no, we made... Uh, there were a number of uh, uh, mistakes around that... Uh, uh, that uh, program, uh, uh, including the choice of a host, uh, as a, you know, I was uh, I, I was quite successful in daytime television in Canada. We had a big hit up there for about three years, and and uh, but I was good at the schmoozier stuff. You know, I was a, a decent conversationalist and a good listener, and I would have a little fun with people in in, in the afternoon format. But uh, not being a a, a pure stand up. Uh, and not having those chops, uh, I, I was wrong for late night. Late night, you gotta, as you know, you know, you gotta have a killer instinct. You gotta go over the jugular. You gotta be uh, ready to dump on everybody and anybody for a laugh. And I love the late night uh, format. I just that was not me. I was not. Uh, I was never tough enough for that. Alan, were you familiar with Gilbert? Were you a fan of Gilbert's, or was he sort of foisted upon you by the... Not, well, no, not a bit. I, I hadn't... Uh, I, I was not familiar with Gilbert for his uh, SNL days, and I was on a, a talent recruiting, scouting uh, trip in New York where they uh, set up a few people for me to see in a showcase at a couple of different comedy places. And I went uh, to this one uh, with no knowledge uh, or background whatsoever of uh, Gilbert Gottfried, and I was blown away by his insanely unique and hilarious uh, take on everything and delivery, and uh, uh, thus began the bromance that uh, continues today. <laughs> I And then, because I, I remember a couple of years after Thick of the Night, I bumped into you in L.A., and uh, you asked me to come on. You had another. Sh it was a short-lived show called uh, Hope. That's my specialty. <laughs> <laughs> See, my specialty is getting on the show and getting fired. <laughs> Yours is the whole show goes off. <laughs> um, I and it was Hope and Gloria. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that that lasted two years on NBC. Oh, that's that I, was uh, that was the prime time stuff. Yeah. So so we were doing fine apparently until you appeared on the show. <laughs> <laughs> now also, uh, you've this this is something that's always been amazing about you have written both you know some of the most famous commercial jingles. And theme songs for TV shows. Can you name just a handful of those? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't ring a bell. 
And that's our show for tonight. Yeah. No, I actually, I did have a nice little sideline career. Uh, it started back when I was uh, uh, producing a couple of shows for Norman Lear. And uh, so he uh, brought me in and let me write a couple of theme songs. That was Different Strokes and Facts of Life. And it started a, a minor uh, cottage industry for me. And I ended up writing uh, close to 50 uh, songs over the years. A lot of them were game show themes because God bless those shows. They run, you know, five days a week, 52 weeks a year, and they use five or six minutes of your music every day. So uh, it was uh, uh, it, it was uh, helpful to uh, have that uh, little revenue stream during uh, cancellation periods, and uh, uh, I got to dabble in in music uh, long before. Robin came along and actually became a musician and raised the family <laughs> brand. But I was I was dicking around with four or five chords for a long time and having some fun with it. I think people know different strokes on the facts of life of people who know that you you wrote that, but I don't think I don't think very many people know that you also wrote the theme to Wheel of Fortune. And I didn't even know there was a theme to Wheel of Fortune. Exactly. You see, I I uh but but that that was the artistic freedom I had. You know, I could in the middle of the night get an epiphany, some great idea for the radar range in, in the theme, thick of the night. Or the yeah, exactly, <laughs> uh, you know, I could have a, a great uh, notion for a turtle wax underscore, and uh, <laughs> and and suddenly uh, all the prizes on the show would uh, have my music under it. The, the the music that's on Wheel of Fortune now. Uh, is not mine. I wrote the original theme. If you remember, Wheel of Fortune started with Chuck Woolery sure. hosting it. Oh, sure. Ran on NBC for about eight years and then went into syndication. And when it went into syndication, Merv Griffin, who owned the show, saw uh, how much money I was making on the theme, and he needed uh, some cash himself, I guess, and uh, decided to write his own and uh, uh, replace my music. And uh, uh, within a couple of years, he was dead, and that's justice for you. <laughs> Now, can you sing any of the Wheel of Fortune? Uh, I can't, and uh, I'm sure nobody can. It was, uh, but it was a perky little thing. Oh my God! It was perky, you know. Da 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 how did you, for, for our music fans and, and songwriters who are listening, Alan, how would you compose these these songs? Would you sit down with a keyboard? Would you just get a, get a tune in your head? No, I was uh, I would do it on guitar. Mm -hmm. I have uh, I, I had uh, minor guitar skills and uh, just enough chords to make it uh, catchy without having it become actually musical. <laughs> I see. <laughs> We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast, but first, a word from our sponsor. Now, that's something that I always found interesting. It's like, like Barry Manilow once said, he also wrote jingles and stuff, and he said it's impossible for him to write something that's not catchy. So what is the secret? I've to never had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I got a little trivia for you. Yes. Uh, uh, I was the writer of the Barry Manilow ABC television special in 1977 that won the Emmy that year as the best special. Wow. And our biggest, our biggest challenge on that show 
was uh, wrestling with Barry over whether or not to include his medley of commercial jingles. He had written a lot of them and, and, and themes for other shows like American Bandstand. Sure. And Barry had been very prolific. Though. I think he wrote the McDonald's you theme. You deserve a break today, so get and up Pep- and get away yeah. from it. Yeah. yeah, and Pepsi, right. and uh, but but Barry, as the uh, recording artist that he was becoming, didn't want to trivialize his recording cred uh, by uh, underscoring the uh, jingle part of his life. So he wanted to leave that out of the TV special. Uh, but in fact, uh, his live act in person, his concert act, the people went nuts for his jingles. They loved that. So. Uh, he and I had a few moments and, and, and had some words together over whether or not to include that. It ultimately was uh, in the show. They left it in, and uh, we won the Emmy, so I rest my case. Yeah, and he did State Farm. Yeah, like, like a, good a good neighbor, neighbor. State Farm is there. And yeah, he was great at it. It always became part of his show. It's funny. Yeah, he was. Uh, it was a terrific little skill that he had. And and as far as commercial jingles, I think John Lennon once said he watches a lot of TV and he thinks the commercial jingles are as good as any of the early Beatles stuff. Uh, I think the Wheel of Fortune has often been compared to Strawberry Fields Forever. (laughs) (laughs) You listen to it backwards when you're high, Alex. Robin was on the show today, by the way, as I told you, so he said to say hello. Great, excellent. And, um, oh, then, just recently, we would meet up again when we were both on Wife Swap. (laughs) Yes, uh, through no fault of our own. I think they really just wanted our wives. They made they made our wives stars, and you and I were the wallpaper. Yes. Yeah, so basically, um, this is a first for both of us. Uh, you didn't get the show taken off the air, and I wasn't fired from it. <laughs> <laughs> They're still swapping wives. There are some traditions that can't be killed. Yeah, yeah. If it works the first time. It'll keep working. Has Tanya well, gotten I'll over tell the you, drama? I'll tell you, you were, uh, you, you were very instrumental and um, important in your own indirect way. Yeah. In uh, leading to this uh, show that we have on now, by the way, tonight is the uh, uh, mid-season finale, whatever they call that, of uh, Unusually Thick. We're on TVGN every Wednesday. And happy to say that uh, we've been a hit, so we're picked up. But the, the point was that the Celebrity Wife Swap was kind of our uh, testing ground, if you will, sticking our toe in the water, seeing if we could possibly uh, play in that arena and have some fun and, and feel good about it. And so the experiment with you and Dara uh, was wildly successful on our part uh, because uh, we really enjoyed it. Uh, it was an entertaining show. You guys made it pop. And then we said after that experience, okay, well, we'll, we'll try this thing. And now we have um, a show that's on for a couple of years, and uh, apparently I owe you a lot in royalties. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to know, Alan, if Tanya was over the trauma of being forced to eat in the kitchen at the Friars Club. <laughs> that, that has uh, stayed with her, a memorable scene uh, that uh, people in airports are constantly reminding her of. And, uh, but I, I think the, the, the trauma of that... Uh, uh, was nothing compared to her Gilbert's opening line to her, 
when they first met, and he said, so this is wife swap. When do we have sex? <laughs> and uh, that kind of subtlety, I think, uh, was the hallmark of his sex life in college. <laughs> but the sex turned out to be good, so it had a happy ending. Uh, yeah, yes. well, we had, we had lots of fun with you guys. Yes. And your kids, by the way, uh, I saw a recent picture, quite uh, gorgeous. Apparently that skips a generation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always say my kids are me if I had been born attractive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, they're great looking kids. Alan, tell us a little bit more about the show. You, I heard you describe it as Curb Your Enthusiasm meets the Kardashians. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, we it's our, our real family in our real situations, uh, but uh, uh, with a bit of a wink, you know, we wanted to have a, we want Gilbert to have a happy ending. We always want Gilbert <laughs> so to have a happy So, you know, we've basically taken family drama and uh, turned it around a little bit. It's the same drama that every family has. And instead of doing the... Uh, uh, you know, the, the housewives kind of thing, which they do so successfully already, so they don't need another one, uh, where people are tearing their hair out and throwing wine at each other. And, uh, you know, we, we stop just short of ultimate cage fighting and uh, try to find a happy ending to the family drama and situations. But So it's a bit of a hybrid. It's a little different. I, 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 you know, if, if Growing Pains and the Kardashians had a love child, this is probably what it would look like. We've had some uh, lots of fun on it. Uh, Gilbert guested on one of them where Tanya did a, uh, uh, a birthday party surprise roast and Gilbert said some appropriately uh, unrepeatable things about me and uh, <laughs> fit very nicely into the episode. That That's very strange for me to say something inappropriate. Yeah, <laughs> unprecedented. Now, you from 1972 to 73 were a writer on 26 episodes of the Paul Lynn Show. I was? Wow. <laughs> you got to cut me some slack for that one. Uh, uh, actually, no, I don't... I did his uh, TV special. Uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't work on his series. I don't even remember that he had a series. We have fraudulent information here. But I, uh, yeah, I think that uh, that you got that from Edward Snowden. But you, uh, <laughs> but you, now, now I'm 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 hoping when you got the job on the Paul Lynch show, there wasn't a casting couch. <laughs> well, there probably was, but it had holes in it. <laughs> Tell us about writing for some of those people uh, when you when you uh, you started out writing for the CBC in Canada. Uh, I did. I started in Canada. In fact, the. Uh, the, I think the first special I ever wrote was the Johnny Cash special, uh, and uh, we did it as a Canadian co-production. And then I, when I came down here, I wrote for other people in the heyday of uh, variety television. Uh, you know, when uh, uh, when everybody who had a hit record also had a, a television series, and they, we were trying to make comedians out of singers, and uh, some of them fortuitously uh, could handle it. And then uh, uh, they started bringing in comics, and we did series. Uh, I, I wrote Flip Wilson's show and Richard Pryor's show and uh, uh, and Cosby's variety show, not the hit one, of course. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, so, so I, I had a, a wonderful uh, life there through the uh, late seventies, writing for other people. Now, did did you ever hear Paul Lynn make anti-Semitic comments? 
Because I, I heard he was like the biggest anti-Semite in the world. I didn't. He might have suspected my Jewishness. <laughs> um, and, and, and therefore was would have been careful around me. Because <laughs> I had heard stories. He would get bombed on like Hollywood squares and stuff like that. And he'd be, the other people would be just laughing, telling jokes, and he'd be going, oh, those fucking Jews. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. He, uh, he, he did enjoy his, uh, his uh, alcohol. And uh, my favorite story about him might have been apocryphal, but it was about him uh, driving inebriated and flipping a car and ending up in a ditch, and the police come over and, and recognize him and said, Paul Lynn. Are you drunk? He said, of course I'm drunk. What do you think I am, a frickin' stunt driver? (laughs) (laughs) I I heard a Paulin story. Also, might be totally untrue. But uh, he was working in some really awful place that was basically like some refurnished barn or something. And he, of course, was disgusted, and he walked in, he said, this place smells like a cunt, I think. (laughs) 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 Now, you were... You you gotta love him for being funny, at least. Yeah. I almost have to excuse his anti-Semitism. <laughs> oh, they should wipe those Jews out. But now you also wrote for uh, the Bobby Darren show. I did, yes. I, I wrote uh, either for uh, uh, comics or, uh, uh, or uh, singers, because uh, that's what was big on television in the 70s. And uh, in fact, some of the the other music I wrote, I didn't write only jingles. I was also writing some, uh, you know, TV music, or occasionally had some songs actually recorded by by people like uh, uh, the Spinners and Lou Rawls, Al Jarreau. So I had the R and B uh, uh, groove covered. And then on the flip side of that, I was writing for Johnny Cash, Glenn Campbell, Ann Murray, Mac Davis, Olivia Newton-John. So I had I had kind of country and uh, and R and B roots there uh, covered somehow and uh, with the same four or five chords, but uh, that that made uh, uh, that period of time uh, certainly my career uh, a lot of fun. You know the variety of what I was experiencing in my work from year to year uh, was uh, was really the fun of it. I I remember hearing a quote where they said. You shouldn't sing songs. You should write songs. That's oh like- well. One of the one of the huge mistakes we made on Thick of the Night was me reading my own press clippings and thinking that I was uh, all that and smooth and sexy when I when I uh, played guitar and sang. And uh, although that, of course, is uh, uh, obviously true, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the other the other the other uh, 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 abiding truth is that that's not what anybody wants to see at eleven thirty at night. Anyway, uh, if you're going to do music, you got to do it the way Jimmy Fallon does it, which is uh, with, with wonderful impressions and and, and co-stars, and uh, he's he's terrifically musical, but he plays it for laughs. 
And I, I, I didn't. There were times during that series that I was uh, taking myself way too seriously and, uh, and, and deserved what I got. Now, I remember when Tanya was here living with me, I was following her around the whole time singing your theme song that you wrote and performed. Yeah, it didn't was... work for me either. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tanya. You know, it was... Mama, don't leave the light on. I'm on the road tonight. <laughs> and, and I was following her around, and she would be getting you know, disgusted and angry at me and and saying, that doesn't sound at all like him. He doesn't sing like that. And then I looked up a song that you performed during the worst of the disco era, <laughs> <laughs> looking as gay as you possibly can, singing Sweaty and Hot. Oh, classic. And, and I remember Tanya heard you sing that and she said, Oh, my God, he does sing like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, those were, uh, oh, those were the days, Gilbert. I guess we should point out that you can still find Sweaty and Hot on YouTube. Yes, thank you for pointing that out. Because now, now people can only watch it and make fun without paying me. Yeah. <laughs> at least for the other stuff, you know. But it's not on YouTube. At least you get 13 cents when they play your song. <laughs> YouTube, they just laugh. I mean, transvestites would watch that video and think it's too gay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little light in the loafers, yeah. Yeah, it was It was you and and a bunch of uh, young... Uh, aerobics. They were aerobics yes. champions. yes. Oh, Remember the, the, how big aerobics was back there in the 80s, and God bless him, I was uh, right there in the middle and uh, singing Sweaty and Hot and Pumping Iron and dancing my little push <laughs> off. It was uh, remarkable television. It, it was the Alan Thick answer to Let's Get Physical. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Get Nauseous. <laughs> They, they even had you in a kind of a, what was it, like a leather, it was like a leather, uh, not a leotard, but like a sexy leather jacket, unzipped. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I think I'll probably a, still have it somewhere. You had a little bit of a Cliff Richard thing going on there, <laughs> Alan, I think. Uh, it could be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell us about Well, you know, if you live long enough, you get a few of those arrows in your quiver. Of course. <laughs> I'm curious about when you were writing for these variety shows. Now you're writing for Bobby Darren and 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 Olivia Newton-John and Ann Murray and people like that. Are you writing little monologue bits? Are you writing skits? Well, it, it's all of that. But uh, what really goes into the writing of a variety show like that, especially if it's predominantly music, is that it becomes a matter of pacing the show. You know, so writing. I always compared it to supposing you're producing your kids' uh, uh, third grade variety show at mm -hmm. Christmas. It's just all the decisions that go into that. Do you want to start with a song? Do you start with a comic? Do you start with Santa coming down the chimney? Do you have uh, naked elves? Uh, what are you going to do in your hour? And that really becomes the writing. So it's not so much just the words that you uh, uh, you, you, you produce. It's the whole pace and and, and tone and, and what the elements are. And uh, you know some of them are just self-contained three minutes of music where they, Tony Tennille is going to sing her hit. Uh, but uh, w whatever that com combination becomes, it all becomes the, the function of writing. I see. 
It's a, it's a shame. I mean, it's a genre that uh, I mean, it was interesting. Maya Rudolph uh, just just did a, a variety show. Yeah, I saw that, and, and she's uh, wonderful and very talented. And uh, you know, who knows if there'll be a call for her to do more of those? But uh, if, if it if it's not her, then uh, nobody can do it. Yeah, she's uh, she's pretty versatile. I applaud her for way. trying to bring it back. Yeah, and you're you're getting uh, some of that now with Jimmy Fallon every night because his show is uh, certainly more multi-textured than uh, simply a talk show. He's got all kinds of things going on. He he can do everything, and uh, that that might be as close as we get to variety nowadays. Mm-hmm. Do you, Do you think everyone's gotten too cynical to do variety now? Uh, well, it's just that you, you don't have to do variety now because you can get the original artists doing the thing that they do best. So you don't have to have somebody else kind of a middleman interpreting uh, all of those uh, for the viewing public. I mean, that was the MTV was the beginning of the end for variety because uh, uh, variety television was uh, Tony Orlando and Tony Tennille and anybody named Tony. Uh, Sonny and Cher, like all those people who had hour-long sure. varieties of Dean Martin, and so you'd have uh, the 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 number one song of the week done by Mac Davis or uh, uh, or, 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 or or Tony Orlando, and uh, uh, you could simply switch channels, go to MTV, and see that number one song performed in a million-dollar video by the original artist, you know, Olivia Newton-John with her Let's Get Physical or, or whatever. Uh, so you don't have to listen to somebody else do their version of that. And and that was what was killing variety uh, television. And I think Mike Wallace said something like, nowadays broadcasting has become narrow casting. And I think... Uh, yeah, I think it, that's uh, truer than ever now with so many channels and specialty channels, and uh, uh, you can program for a niche audience. I, I mean, I was talking to some actress from um, uh, In the House that I do, I'd done a thing on that show. I did an appearance, and we and it was funny that you realize now, like there used to be shows with black people on it. On TV, like uh, like uh, Sanford and Son, and what's happening and all that. Now there's the Black Channel, and yeah, then yeah. now there's the Rock Channel, and there's the Western Channel and the Comedy Channel. I'll be coming with the All Canadian Channel soon. <laughs> <laughs> and you have the vocal stylings of William Shatner, <laughs> the comedy of Gordon Lightfoot. And uh, we'll uh, we'll sneak up on you. Gordon Lightfoot's hilarious. Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It doesn't get funnier than that. There you go. Yeah. I, every time I see that iceberg or whatever the hell got him. Now, uh, now speaking of William Shatner, what do you refer to yourself as? I am the uh, I am the affordable Shatner. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now what? Which- the stuff that he turns down, I'm there for. <laughs> now, see, what's your opinion of Shatner? Uh, I, I think he's a wonderful uh, uh, icon with a good sense of humor about himself. 
and uh, he's done and tried so many things, speaking of the variety of life, uh, and, and he's still around and uh, doing things that please him and uh, occasionally even please others. And, uh, uh, again, I think to have a, a sense of humor about yourself and uh, what you're up to and uh, being out there and, uh, uh, and, and doing your best at whatever comes your way, what a great life. So God bless him for that. He's he's had an amazingly long career. He really has. We were just talking about him in old Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the classics. And uh, by the way, it's after three, uh, three my time, guys. I have to go immediately. A car is uh, picking me up and taking me out of here. Don't tell me you're employed. Uh, no, no, I'm driving the car. <laughs> I'm, 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 picking up, I'm picking up Billy Baldwin and taking him to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alan, once again, it's always a pleasure working with you. For Gilbert, you're uh, just one of my favorite guys anywhere, and I'm so happy you have this uh, podcast. And, Frank, uh, nice to be uh, connected with you again. Oh, the pleasure, so, pleasure uh, is mine, Alan. Thanks for doing wishing this. Wishing you guys all the best with this, and uh, looking forward to you being on our uh, Season 2, Gilbert. And, uh, and uh, any time I can come back, you just call me when... Uh, uh, when somebody drops out, and I'll be there. Yes, if if Screech from Saved by the Bell drops out. <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> there you go. Dustin Diamond forever. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot, Alan. Okay, I love you guys. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and uh, we have on our line, believe it or not, Shecky Green. Now, first, let me talk. Uh, one question I wanted to ask you. First, Shecky Green, what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> I mean, here, let me let me tell the audience what happened. I'm at the Friars Club now doing this. And I was at a Friars event. We were honoring two older comics, Freddie Roman and uh, Stewie Stone. And I even, and uh, Freddie Roman even had his grandkids there. And I said, is it okay to, should I watch what I say? He said, nah, nah, this is a Friars thing. Because the Friars was always known for centuries. Milton Berle, Jack Benny, they'd worked. Totally filthy. Now, so I go up on stage. Next thing I know, instead of Shecky, you, Shecky, closing the show, Joy Behar goes on. And uh, Joy Behar goes, I don't know what the fuck happened with Shecky. <laughs> he got offended by what Gilbert was saying, and he got up and walked out. And I was shocked by this. I was shocked you were able to get up. But... <laughs> And then you went back home and you tore up your membership to the Friars Club. Uh, that and and and, uh, and it ruined the night for uh, not just me but Freddie Roman and Stewie Stone. So can you give your side of it now? How's that for an intro, Shecky? You still with us? My side of it. My side of it is this: I'm in a hotel, a casino. I didn't understand one. And I can't say the word. The one word that you said, 
I know you just discussed about uh, Freddie Roman and, and, and the Stewie Stone and talked about, I heard you say fires are in there, but when you talk, you talk, I get it, and I don't understand. <laughs> All that funny talking, because when you talk, you swallow your words. So I don't understand. One word that you just said. So in other so words, I, I sound like York, Buddy Hatton. Wait, you gave me my turn to talk. Okay. <laughs> no, go now, ahead. You said, I know exactly what you want, and I know exactly what you want to start. I heard about your friend Howard Stern, but I don't want to start anything with you. I enjoy you as a, as a person. I don't. I never knew saw you act. I don't know what you're doing. Everything. I didn't think under the circumstances what we were doing, and I was sitting with children, and I was sitting with the honoree, and I thought, the kind of material that you used was not for me, and they were just honoring. This was not a roast. Not a roast like I do at the Friars. This was an honoring a, a, a couple of guys. Anyway, I, I don't want to get into it because I'd like to be face-to-face with you, okay? And the thing is, I'd like to talk to you in your native tongue. But see, Freddie, Freddie, could you do me a favor? Could you call? Could you call me under different circumstances where I can hear you, because I can't hear you and understand you at all? But I would like to settle this thing because I got five thousand calls from people that hate my guts, that love you. I got ten thousand calls from people that love me that hate your goddamn guts. <laughs> now I use that word I don't want to use. It's democratic. So, so it's either 10,000 or 5,000 against each other. But, Gilbert, I cannot discuss anything over like this. This is not the way to settle anything. And I'm very fond of you personally. So let's not even worry about that. It's just that when, and then when I found out that brought up George J. Pierre or Boo Bobby Dots, and she said what she said, that that broke my Sundays, my dates. My students, my Kaluans, my Korani, the little fish in the Katsero and the Bakure. You speak Italian? Yes, yes, of I course. understood every word. <laughs> anyway, let's let's talk under a circumstance where we can both understand each other. This is the way to handle I'm standing in a casino, people are gambling, they're all looking at me like a did you win lady? The lady won. Anyway, I'm watching horses, I'm watching the people gamble, and this is no way to settle our situation. But they do me a favor, I don't know how it's turned, but tell them I doubly don't like him. <laughs> and, and I know that's your dear friend, but I, I, don't, I, I think this is, first of all, I thought he was all Jewish, then I found he was only half. So I just half hate him. Okay, guys, is that enough? And you call, you call me, and we'll talk. It's like two sensible people will talk face to face, but not like this. And tell tell the little Mikey. I want to tell you when uh, Gilbert wants to talk to you. It's very important. Okay. So I, I'm wrapping up right now, and God bless all of you. All right, Shaq. Ah. Well, we'll be in touch. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Well, that was Shecky Green. That was what? Was that an hour, Frank? At least. Yeah. It sure as shit felt like an hour. <laughs> it felt like a fucking lifetime. That was Shecky Green, ladies and gentlemen. 
uh, explaining to everyone what happened, and it makes perfect sense to me. See, at first, I thought he was out of his fucking mind. But now, now that I hear it, uh, he's, you realize he's completely lucid in yes, every way. Yes, You were misunder, misinformed. He makes, he makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought talking to Shecky was gonna be uh was gonna be like talking to some fucking maniac, <laughs> but it turns out look, he he's totally <laughs> totally makes sense. Nothing at all crazy about him. No anger. None. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. <laughs> I was getting a Dalai Lama vibe yes. from him. <laughs> I was getting a a a uh, Beatles when they visited the Maharishi. <laughs> I was getting a real George Harrison. Well, though he's praised to the Maharishi every night. Yes, I. That was amazing. That was Shecky Green. He explained it all, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> See, like a lot of you thought he was nuts when when he stormed out on me for being dirty at the Friars Club. How dare you? The Friars, where I did the aristocrats. <laughs> I, that was much dirtier than anything I said in front of Shecky. But I think Shecky might have heard things on his own. In his, uh, I think I think he's got voices talking to him. But now that we've got it all straightened it's out, it's all squared yes. away. I have complete clarity. <laughs> I I thought he'd be a little nutty. I but and I thought he'd be vindictive, but not at all. I was I, I was wrong on both counts. And, and, you know, people had said to me, he sounds a little self-destructive, too. And I, after today's interview, I'll say, no, you're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he get this bad press? And and I'll I, now I have a message to give to Howard Stern. So <laughs> So once again, this was Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we finally cleared the air with Shecky Green. And uh, it it once again it made. <laughs> Perfect sense. <laughs>